Well, thanks for hanging out with us this morning. Thanks for singing along and digging in as we learn a little bit today. Thank you for being here in the room. If you're watching online or you're listening later to the podcast, it is great to hang out with you today, wherever you are and whatever context you find yourself in. My name is Corey, and I have the honor and privilege of being lead pastor here at Grace Family. And this is the final week in our series called Confronting Christianity. And we've been tackling these difficult conversations all, all summer. Um, and really what we wanted to do is, like Pastor Andrew said last week, is we wanted to have the conversation. We want to be willing to engage with these topics. And when someone comes up to us and has a conversation with us, when we have thoughts about these things ourselves, we want to be able to think them through and process them from a biblical perspective. And so instead of running from these topics, we've leaned into them. And so today we get to wrap that up. And I hope that this time over the summer has been good for you to kind of engage in these topics and learn a little bit. We've got multiple, had multiple conversations with people as we've engaged in these topics that have been great. If you've missed any of the weeks or you go, I really like that week, I want to listen to it again, you can always go back and listen to the podcast or watch on YouTube, which is one of the great things about the age we live in. And so I would encourage you to do that. But today we're going to tackle two questions. And honestly, these questions are the ones that I get the most, or I've heard the most, as people push back against Christianity. It's the ones that stick in people's minds the most. It's, are, they're the ones that make people upset the most. They're the ones that people struggle with the most. And so these two questions are simply this. Why does God allow suffering, and how can he send people to hell? In, in summary, they ask this simple question. If God is good... How can bad things exist? And so what do, what do we do? If you've grown up in church, we teach kids from the time that they're little that God loves them, Jesus loves them. I'm pretty sure Jesus loves me. I know the, song, the words to that song. The only other song I learned first was happy birthday. Like Jesus loves me was the next one, right? And I just learned those words. And as I was a little kid, that's what we taught them. That's what we teach our kids in our preschool, we teach them that God made them, God loves them, and Jesus wants to be their friend forever. And so we, especially in church, we start this conversation with kids early about how much God loves and cares for them and wants a relationship with them. And then something happens and they grow up. And we've all gone through this, where we, Jesus loves me is a very simple song and we love it and it's great. And then we hit a roadblock in life that makes us feel like maybe that song isn't so simple. And we hit a time in life where there's, there's trauma or there's struggle or there's loss. And we ask this question. And for some of us that maybe have grown up in church or been Christians for a long time, we're, we're willing to lean into the idea that God is in control. But I understand from outside perspective, if you're not a follower of Jesus and we preach this idea that God is good and God loves us and he's invested in us, when, when bad things happen, then then why can't this good God, why can't he just erase evil from the face of the planet so that we don't have to suffer anymore? Why would he allow people that he loves to go to a place that sounds awful after they die? How can he be good and allow that to happen? And so I understand the tension. This is not an easy question to tackle. It's not a simple answer, but I want to do my best today to have this conversation help us understand how God works in the midst of these things and what the Bible tells us about this. And so part of what I'm going to do today is tell you a bit of my story. And so some of I've only been here since November, so there's been different conversations that I've been able to have with people, but still getting to know people well 
and getting to understand your background, my background. And so maybe at some point you've heard me talk about this. But when I was 11 years old, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. So I was in sixth grade. I didn't really understand what that meant. Understand, I didn't understand what that meant. I knew cancer was bad. I knew it was sickness. I knew it wasn't something you wanted to hear. But I didn't really like connect the dots on what that meant as an 11-year-old. And I, all I remember is I was just, I was the oldest. I had a brother who I guess at the time would have been six and my sister was one. And so we, I just tried as the oldest to stay out of the way. Like I just didn't want to be a problem. So I made my own sandwiches. <laughs> I made sure I did my homework. Like I was the one who was just like, I'll just make sure that I stay in my lane so mom and dad don't have to worry about me. And so I watched as my mom lost her hair, went through surgeries, went through chemos, and there was weekends where my mom would go to chemo and I wouldn't see her for a few days because she would just be in her room sick. And honestly, this wasn't something new for me. My mom had this joke where if a doctor asked her what her family medical history was, she would say she was her family's medical history. Just because she had been, I just remember even you know years when I was young, she would just spend time in the hospital, gallstones and other, other things. So the good thing was my mom went through treatment. Everything was good. We fast forward about five years, and my mom hit five years remission. And usually that means that cancer is gone. It's not coming back. You kind of hit that moment of you're good now. There's not, there's, you're going to move forward. It's, it's a positive thing. I have other friends who have gone through cancer, and that five-year mark is what they aim for. But about two years after that, I was in my freshman year at college that fall, and I got a phone call from my dad that cancer was back. So that started a, a two-year kind of seesaw process where, honestly, most of it is a blur to me. I, I remember college things, but I don't remember much about cancer stuff for whatever reason. And so we walked through that. And unfortunately, in the fall of 2009, November 13, 2009, my mom passed away. And there was this process where they were trying to keep her from getting cancer in her organs, but it ended up moving to her bones. And so she passed away. Now, why do I, why do I tell you that? Because my story has to do with this question. I've asked these questions, and I've struggled with these questions. And I tell you all that not so that you're, you feel bad for me or you feel sad for me, or so when you get frustrated at me, you don't get frustrated because you remember I've struggled with things. Like I, I say this because some of the things that I'm going to say today might feel a little too like matter of fact. They might feel a little bit like there's no feeling behind them. And honestly, that's sometimes the way that I process stuff. I'm more of a type of person that will just like give me the facts, let's move forward. That's how I process life. But I want you to know that when I say these things, and as we go through the truth that I'm going to hopefully help us understand today, I've been there. I've woken up the next day and wished it was a dream that it didn't happen, right? I watched not only like me going through this, my dad go through this, my siblings go through this, my grandparents go through this. And so I get it. But what do we do with it? How do we understand God in the midst of these things? I want to start today in John chapter 16, and we're going to put the verses up on the screen for you. You can flip, if you have your physical Bible, you can use that. You can go on your phone. You can go to the follow along page on our website where all the notes and all the passages will be for today, and you can ask questions. You can email the notes to yourself if you'd like to. But in John chapter 16, there's a very important verse that we have to understand. It's verse 33. 
And in the beginning of verse 33, it says this, I have told you all this, this is Jesus speaking, so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Now let's pause there for a minute. This is the verse where from an outside perspective or an inside perspective, if we want to look at God and get angry at him for bad things happening, he never said the opposite. In fact, what Jesus says, and he was so honest about, was that on earth, we're going to have trials. You're going to have to homeschool your kids through a pandemic. You're going to have to sometimes lose your job. You're going to go through a difficult time. You're going to have sorrows. You're going to lose things. You're going to lose people. You're going to go through difficult days. Jesus never says the opposite. So the good thing is, he didn't lie to us. He didn't say, in this world, you will have rainbows and butterflies. He doesn't say it. But his next sentence is so important. He says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. What is Jesus saying to us? He's saying, when you walk through these difficult days, when you go through these struggles, I've been there too. What did Jesus go through? His best friend betrayed him. One of his best friends betrayed him and turned him over to die. I don't know this for sure, but when we look at Scripture, we see that Mary is present when Jesus is dying, but we don't see Joseph. And Jesus even looks at John and says, take care of this woman. She's now your mom. And he's talking about his mom because he's not going to be around for much longer. That means Joseph wasn't around either. I think Jesus lost a parent. Like he went through difficult things. And so he says, when these things happen, know that if you are found in me, if you know me, I understand you. And I've overcome all of these things and you can as well. You know, there's actually another place in scripture where the disciples are thinking about these questions that we're asking today. They're pondering what's going on. And we get that story in John chapter 9. So you can flip back a little bit, just a couple, few chapters there. In John chapter 9, verse 1, this is what it says. As he went along, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who has sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This is an interesting question. The disciples are processing the question that we're asking today. And honestly, the way that they put the pieces together back then was if you're going through a difficult time or you've been handed a certain trial, God is punishing you. So they asked the question, who sinned, his parents or him? You know, I even heard this question sometimes. Like this was, a, we don't ask this question a ton anymore. We don't necessarily think that just because there's a trial, it's just because of God's judgment. But at the same time, I do remember hearing at the beginning of the pandemic, people saying, this is God trying to get our attention. God's doing something, right? That, that I heard that. And so sometimes we still go back to this idea. And so their way of being okay with the struggle that they saw was just when bad things happened, God was saying, you did something wrong. We're going to figure this out. But Jesus' answer is kind of incredible. In verse 3, it says this, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in Jesus says this, this man was born blind because 
I would walk by today. This man was born blind so that you could see that I have the ability to give him his sight. This man was born blind so that we, 2,000 years later, could sit in New Holland, Pennsylvania and look at John chapter 9 and see what happened in this instance. That's why this man was born blind, so that Jesus could show who he was to the world. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, or even if you are, and you want to dig down deep on this idea for a minute, this can even be a little bit frustrating. And I could hear a voice in, in my head or in somebody else's head say, okay, great, so I'm now just a pawn in God's game. He can make me blind just so he can use me to show who he is. I get that. But here's what we have to understand. God, if we go all the way back to Genesis 1, right, we had this conversation at the beginning of this year. When God created Adam and Eve, they had a perfect relationship with him. There was no sin. There was no blindness. There was no pain. No one had died. And yet, sin entered the world because of our choices. And so what does God say? He doesn't just wipe the map clean. What Jesus decides to do is he decides to come to earth and live as a human to understand the struggle that we have here. And what he says is, I'm going to redeem the struggle that this man has been given so that it can be used for good. This is the idea we have to get. There will be difficult times, but God is always working to redeem those things so that he can take advantage of the difficulty that we've allowed into the world and he can use it so that more people will come to know him one of the first things I, I want us to get today is that God will always do what brings him the most glory and wins him the most souls into heaven. Let me say that one more time. God will always do what brings him the most glory and wins the most souls into heaven. Let me go back to my story really quick. So fast forward a few years after my mom passed away and my dad decided uh, to get married again. And so he got married, I think it was about seven years ago. I'm terrible with remembering dates. So he gets married again, and he married this awesome lady named Sherry. And, and we are so thankful that <laughs> our kids have a Grammy. I practiced this so many times, hoping I wouldn't cry. And it's great. And one of the cool things that we've, we've got because of that is I have two stepbrothers. And so my stepbrother, my one stepbrother, was um, he was getting married pretty quick, I guess within a year after my dad and Sherry got married. And so they asked me to do the wedding because I was a pastor. And so my stepbrother uh, not or was a believer, my stepsister-in-law-to-be at that point, not a believer. One of the things that I always do when I do a wedding, I've done seven or eight of them, we always, I always do marriage counseling or at least part of the marriage counseling. And one of the things we always talk about is the gospel because I believe that marriage is built on a shared foundation in Jesus are the ones that are going to last the longest. And so I did that. I'm going to shorten this up so I don't lose it. But here's what happened. I got to pray with my stepsister-in-law to receive Jesus. So my mom passes away. My dad gets remarried. I meet my stepbrother. She gets saved. What did God do when my mom died? He took his own daughter home. Didn't take her from me. 
didn't take her from my dad, my siblings, whoever else. He took my mom, who suffered, home. And she never felt another ounce of pain, and someone else got saved. Not just her. <laughs> my aunt got saved and baptized. And there have been other people who have gotten saved because of it. Why? Because God will always do what brings him the most glory and wins the most souls to heaven. What brought him the most glory in that moment was bringing my mom home. And then he brought people to heaven because of it. This is what God does. It's not about just the suffering that we go through. But it's about what God's going to do through it. And the difficult thing for us, and this is, again, this is one of those things like you have to hear. You can hear it in my voice now, but like understand I've gone through this. Sometimes I must suffer in order for someone else to enter the kingdom. This is an uncomfortable phrase. right? I, I don't want to suffer so that somebody else can get saved necessarily. Like, Can't God just do that without suffering? Like, Just send an angel. Just do that. Why do I have to go through this? But this is what Jesus did. He came and suffered so that we could enter the kingdom, so that you could enter the kingdom, so that I could, so that whoever's going to be playing pickleball over there this week could enter the kingdom, right? That's what he did. And so what he's calling us to do is not something that he hasn't done already. It's exactly what he did for us. In Matthew 16, Jesus goes a little bit deeper into this idea. I want to show that to you really quick. Matthew 16, verse 24 is where we're going to start. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, he must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. Verse 25, If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Verse 26, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus says if, if you want the difficulty of this world to be worth it, then set aside your own stuff and walk like I walked. Pick up the cross that I've given you. Pick up the cross that I carried for you. And when you walk through these difficult things, says you will gain life through it. It's not going to be worthless. It's not going to feel like it was nothing. It's not going to feel like it's not worthwhile. But if we carry that cross that Jesus carried for us, others will come to know him. And the truth is that nothing was worth more to Jesus than our soul. And the question that we have to ask is, is our comfort worth more, or is your comfort worth more to you than someone else's soul? be easy for us to say, I, I don't want this, right? I'd rather live life in the world the way that the world offers it to me. That sounds like more fun, and I don't have to worry about this so much. But Jesus says, will you look like me? Will you look like me and set aside your comfort so that someone else in your struggle at times is going to come to know me or might come to me? Every day is not bad, right? I hope every day is not bad. Really good days, really good times. But in those moments that are difficult, do we think only about our own comfort or do we think about how God can redeem those things and use them to reach someone else? 
I want to put like a bookmark on that conversation for a minute, okay? We'll come back to it. I want to move on to the second question that we're going to ask today. And that question I talked about earlier was, how can God send people to hell? If you're not a follower of Jesus, here's the way you might be processing what I'm talking about. Jesus says life is going to be difficult. There's no way around that. And we know that to be true, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, right? It's just life is going to be hard. The pandemic didn't just come to some people and then not others, right? It affected all of us. So no matter what, if you're a follower of Jesus or not, you're going to have difficult days. Jesus says that. So the option is either follow Jesus and pick up a heavy cross and bear that and go forward that way into your suffering. Or the opposite, if you're not a follower of Jesus, is go to hell. That's the opposite. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I get it. I get why you would look outside of Christianity and look at those two options and go, neither one of those sound really great. I think I'll stay over here. I think I'll move this direction. I think I'll just live my life the way that I want to live it right now because neither of those options sound good. But here's, there's three things I want us to understand about God that might help us understand why there is a necessity for the existence of hell. The first thing is that God must be just. If we're going to accept at all that there is a God in general, we also accept the idea that he is in control and he's kind of judge, jury, and executioner. He gets to decide who gets to go where. He gets to decide how our life goes. He gets to decide what goes on. And so if that's the case, wouldn't we rather follow a just God? Now let's pretend that God is a judge And there was, let's just think about a judge that would be here on planet Earth. And if every time someone came before that judge, no matter the crime, they just said, you're off free, right? I got in a car accident and I ran. Oh, no problem. You can go. I decided to steal somebody's car. No problem. You can go. I killed somebody. No problem. You can go. We would never look at that judge in a positive light. In fact, we would want certain people to get the book thrown at them. We would want them to end up in jail. We would want them out of society so that they could not hurt someone else. And yet sometimes we look at God and we say, but you can't judge me. Or but you shouldn't have that seat. Or but what your judgment says isn't true. But here's what we understand. We want there to be justice. And we want God to uphold that. And then in that, we also would understand that God must be worth following. We want him to be worth following. Let me give you another example. Um, have there ever been, and don't answer this out loud, but just think about it in your head. Have there ever been adults, maybe when you were a kid, who you knew were pushovers? Like my mind immediately goes to like the substitute teacher. Okay. I was a substitute teacher. I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm just saying the days when the substitute teacher came in, come on, You thought about what you could get away with more so than the person that was there every day. The amount of you that are smiling means you agree with me, right? Why? Because that teacher only had to deal with you for one day. So they would let you kind of cross the line, right? The other teacher that was there every day had to make sure they didn't lose the respect of the class for the whole year. And so they had to hold the line. Think about the difference between the the adult that you knew who would draw the line and hold it, whether they were a teacher, a parent, a coach, whatever. And the adult that would draw the line and you knew you could just be like, boop, like, I'm just going to step over here. You're not going to do anything about it. So I just keep stepping over here, right? Who did you respect more? Ultimately, and probably maybe not at the time, but today, 
the way you understand things, you probably respect the person more who drew the line and held it, held you accountable, wasn't mean to you or a jerk to you or anything, but clearly set the boundaries and held you there because they knew it was what was best for you. This is what we understand about God as, as he is a just God. He doesn't automatically send us to hell just for no reason. He doesn't do it on a whim. He doesn't just throw everybody in there. The idea is this, that he would give us the parameters. He draws the lines for us and he says, I believe that this is so much better for you that there's going to be a consequence if you don't do it. Parents, we know that giving our kids consequences is a loving thing to do because it stops them from going farther and getting more hurt or more injured or finding themselves in a bad place. This is what God does for us. And the fact that he would be a just God and he wants us to understand the consequences of our actions means he is worth following. And then the third thing is this, that God must be loving. And he loves us so much that he would be willing to come and die so that no one would end up in hell. See, what we understand, right, is if we have this book, it tells us about who God is. It tells us about how much he loves us. It tells us about his relationship that he wants to have with us. It tells us about the God who wants to be with us for eternity. And in order to move us in that direction, what he does is he gives us consequences, and justice requires consequences. There has to be that. If, in fact, I think if we just decided everyone got into heaven, some people believe that. But I think even people that were non-Christians and Christians alike would agree that there are people from history that if they're in heaven, great, but there should be a place where they go and they get punished for what they did. We would agree that that place existing outside of knowing Jesus, there should be people that they at least received consequences for what they did. But what I want to help us understand today is there's, there's two things I really want to drill down on this idea of hell to help us understand really what it is. Because sometimes we get too stuck in the idea of like the guy with a pitchfork and horns and, and the fire and things like that. But here's what I want us to get. Hell is, isn't just the punishment for one choice. It's the sentence for choosing to be God ourselves. Let me, let me explain that a minute, right? So I talked about the fact that we have the scriptures and it teaches us about God and it lays all this out for us. Ultimately, the decision that we make if we decide to reject Jesus or to reject God, if we look at this story and we say, I want nothing to do with it, I don't believe the stories in it, I don't believe that they're true, I don't believe in this fairy tale God, and we step over here, we say, I want nothing to do with it, all God does is he says, okay, you have nothing to do with me. We get stuck sometimes on this idea of like, oh, I stole one cookie from the cookie jar, so God's going to make me burn forever. That's not the truth of the reality of the situation. The situation is, God simply gives us what we want. And so if we reject God and want nothing to do with him, he just says, okay, then you have nothing to do with me. And we'll be okay with that. Because if you're choosing that, if you're choosing to say, I know better than this God, or I don't like him, or his decisions aren't just, or it's not good enough for me, then what you're saying is, what I would be saying is, I know more than God, and therefore I am him. So God doesn't just throw us away for one little sin. 
He doesn't throw us away at all. He just removes himself from us. One of the problems that people have so much with the idea of hell is, is simply the idea of fire. And I remember I was at camp or I was at something when I was a teenager. I was probably a middle school or late elementary school. And I remember the counselor or the leader or whatever, we were sitting around a campfire. I don't even know why this conversation came up. But he just looks at the fire and he goes, do you see down at the bottom, like right in the middle where the black coals are? And we're like, yeah, sure. Fire's fun, right? So we're like looking at it. He goes, that's what hell is like. He goes, it's that dark and it's that hot all the time. And he goes, don't go there. Zero conversation about Jesus. Listen, please don't have conversations with your kids like that. Because hell's not about getting out of fire. I've heard countless people that I've known as kids who were told, do you see, like flannel graphs, seriously, do you see the way that this goes? Yes, this goes to heaven. Do you see the way this goes? All those people over there burning. Go the other way. How do I get there? I'm sixth. Trust in Jesus. Okay, great. Don't want to burn, right? That's the way that it's gone. Don't, don't have that conversation. Because the problem is we think too much just simply about hell and we don't think about what God has called us to and who he is and how much he cares for us. So what do we understand about hell? Now, when Jesus talks about hell, first of all, let me say unequivocally, I believe hell is a very real place. And if we don't know Jesus when we die, it is where we go. Literally. It's not figuratively. It's not just an idea. It's not just a story. I believe it's true. And I believe that's what scripture teaches. And when Jesus talks about it, he talks about this place called Gehenna. And Gehenna was a place where there was, it was kind of like a dump, but it was more than a dump. It was trash. It was dead bodies who didn't have family. They would throw them there and they would just, and there was a fire that would constantly go. And it was just a place that you would never want to hang out. You would never want to be. And he talks about this weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because if you just lived in that place, you would just hate your life. The question is, is, is hell a literal fiery place? Is there literally just fire that burns you forever? I, I don't know. It's possible. It's very possible. I'm not saying I don't know that. I've never been there, thankfully. Don't know. But here's what I do know. Even if hell may not be a literal fiery pit, it is the complete absence of God and all his blessings. God says, you can have nothing to do with me if that's what you want. What does that really mean? That means that there's no more joy. There's no more happiness. There's no more joy of relationships with friendships or spouses or children. There's no more planning for vacations. There's no more sitting by the pool. There's no more celebrating Christmas. There's no that Anything that we would look forward to and love in life is now all completely gone. And we are in full understanding that God has turned his back on us because that's what we chose. Don't focus so much on the fire, but think about the absence of God completely from us. Because if we understand God, if we would say he would be true and, and a real person, he created the world around us, and there are just times we enjoy it, right? You don't have to do anything to enjoy a sunrise or a sunset. But all of that is gone. And there's this separation between us and God. That's what hell truly is. So if the thing we're stuck on is we just don't, we don't love the idea of fire, 
set that aside and just understand that it's just God allowing us to have to ourselves be nothing, have no, have no joy, have no happiness, have no connection with him forever. Don't, don't go there. Don't separate yourself from God. Don't allow yourself to move to a place where you would consider yourself to be God and understand more than God and be the one who has to be right. Stay in a place where you do know God and lean into the God who said, I would rather die for you than send you away from my presence and live in relationship with him. Let's put this all together and kind of like wrap up our time today. I believe that every hardship for Christians is an opportunity for Christ to be magnified in us. Let me go back to my story one more time. After my mom passed away, my dad uh, realized he couldn't sleep. And so my dad, you've heard me say this before, I hate running. And my dad and I have this joke um, that we would say that's not true of him anymore, but we would only run if it was on a field after a ball or around the bases. So you can put me on a baseball diamond, I'll hit the ball and I'll run. You put me on a soccer field, I'll run. You put me on a football field, I'll run. You put me on a track, I'm just going to walk away. Just not, not fun. And then you add hurdles, not doing that either. But my dad, even though he hated running as much as I do, um, he couldn't sleep. And so he just decided, I got to do something to wear myself out. So he started to run. What he realized after he started to run was like, oh, okay, like this isn't the worst thing in the world. And so he started to run in different races. He would do 5Ks. He would do half marathons. He's even done marathons. Um, and so what he finally realized in, in kind of being in that culture for a while was there were some pretty cool causes that were sponsoring these races and that he was able to give money or just participate in these ways so that other people could benefit. And so he started this organization um, called One Run Together. And so, you know, this has been, I don't know, seven or eight years. What, what my dad does is he has this organization. They sponsor runs. They had last week, they did a glow run at 10 o'clock at night on the Honey, Honeybrook Golf Course. They handed out glow sticks and you just run at 10 o'clock at night. I was like, okay, I can get behind that a little bit. So they, they did that and they just, they raise money. And, and what the money goes to is not to uh, cancer research, research, but it goes literally to patients that are going through cancer. So what they do is they fill out an application. They say, I need my electric bill or my car insurance or something. Help me pay that while I'm spending money on hotel rooms and being in hospitals and buying the food. All stuff. So he alleviates some of that while they're going through it. And every time somebody uh, gets accepted into that, my dad shows up at their house with a check and a Bible. Because he doesn't want to waste his trauma or his suffering. And so now hundreds of people have heard about Jesus because of that. So don't waste it. Don't expect it to be non-existent or no good or God just working through 
causing you to go through something very difficult for no reason. There's one more verse I want to go to before we wrap today. Sorry, I didn't ask you to bring tissues today. My fault. Matthew 11, in verse 28, it says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And then verses 29 and 30, Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For, many, for my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden I give you is light. So let me just highlight these three things we've jumped to today. Jesus says life is going to be difficult. Never says it's going to be easy. But he says if you choose to pick up your cross and follow me, it's going to give you meaning in your suffering. And then he says in Matthew 11, and if you pick up the burden I'm giving you, it's going to be lighter than anything you've ever bared on your own. Listen, too many times when we go through suffering, we get angry at God for adding to our burden. I already struggle with this, or I already have this going on, or this is already a problem, or this is already a struggle. Why, why are you handing me more stuff, right? Why are you making my life more difficult? And Jesus says, put, put your trauma down, put your mistakes down, put your hurt down, and pick up my life that I'm offering to you, and you will find it so much lighter than trying to carry what you're trying to carry on your own. It's much more difficult to carry a cross, but it's so much lighter than when we carry our own stuff. And sometimes we want to shake our fist at God and go, look at all this stuff you gave me. When you hold up your fist and you look at what Jesus gave you, and you see it through that lens, and you understand that there's a reason, and you understand one day it's going to be over. One day the promise is you get to hang out with God in heaven forever. And all the people that we've lost are going to be there too that have been followers of Jesus. That makes this 80, 90, 100 years a whole lot easier. Because what Jesus gives is he gives us hope. And what we know about hope is that hope makes life lighter. It makes life light sometimes. Hope on the best days just makes life light. Hope on the most difficult days makes life lighter. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that there aren't still difficult days. I would talk more about that, but I will not be able to get through it. It doesn't mean that it just goes away and everything is rainbows and butterflies. But it means when you have hope, those things are real. That God is going to work through it. That God is going to use you. That God is going to show you why you went through this. And sometimes we won't know the answer to that until we get to heaven. And someone we never met says, I heard your story, or I connected with you this way, or I heard about that. And through a friend of a friend of a friend or whatever, I'm here too. And at that moment, we'll understand that it's worth it. I'm going to ask Dan to come up as we just think about what we do with this, right? This has been a difficult series to kind of work through and understand. We have to question what we're going to do, especially with this idea and this question. And so if you're 
a follower of Jesus, my, my question to you is, what do you have to put down in order to pick up what Jesus has offered you? Because I know sometimes as a Christian, it's easy for me to kind of go, you know what? I'd rather carry my stuff than have to look like Jesus. But it makes my life a lot worse. And it makes it worse for the people around me. Is there a trauma? Is there a pain? Is there a difficult situation that you've been like holding on to onto and kind of pushing in God's face and saying, why are you doing this to me? This isn't fair. It's not right. I don't get it. And do you need to just put that one down, pick up what Jesus offers us and say, I'm going to live so that in that struggle, I can glorify you and maybe even invite someone else to follow you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, these are difficult questions to process. But my question to you would be, what do you have to lose? If God is not real, and you live your life for Jesus in this hopeful way, and you give others hope all the way through your life, and he's not real, and you die, and that's just the end, and there's nothing after, it didn't cost you anything but maybe just some fun here on earth. But if you're wrong and God is real, you're staring that separation from God in the face. And I would plead with you not to do that, but that you would come to know him. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here, you're listening, you're wherever you find us on YouTube in, I don't know, three years, Go to our website. Just fill out the next steps card and let us know that you're interested in having a conversation. Doesn't mean we're going to spam you. We're not going to chase you down. We're not going to force you anything. But just have the conversation with us about God. If you're here and you're not sure if you're a follower of Jesus, do the same thing. Catch me or Pastor Andrew or Dan out here. Send us an email. Send us a text message. Whatever it is, just let's have the conversation and understand who God is. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a new song that if you listen to the words it has everything to do with what we talked about today so I, I invite you to do whatever you would like if you'd like to stand and sing you can stand and sing if you want to sit that's fine if you want to pray that's fine whatever whatever is right for you you are fine to do but let's reflect on these words a little bit before we leave today Lord thank you for this series that we've been able to ask these difficult questions and we thank you for your word that helps us understand who you are and how we are to respond to them and we ask that the truths of this series of, of your word would sink into our hearts especially on this topic i pray that when difficult times come to us that we would not see them as simply inconveniences that you handed us but that we would into them, and we would allow you to work through those situations in us. I pray that there are things that we're holding on to that we're just throwing in your face, we're angry at you about, we're frustrated you about, that we would just put those things down and choose to follow you instead and to carry your cross, and that that burden would be lighter than anything we could bear on our own. I also ask that if there's anybody here that does not know you, that they would have that conversation today 
that it wouldn't be left till tomorrow or next week or next month or next year, that they would just simply reach out and have the conversation to understand who you are and, and what the reality is if they were to ask you into their lives. We're grateful that we don't walk through difficult seasons alone, that you came to earth and did that as well, and that you understand us in our traumas, in our struggles. We pray that that would be a comforting thing to us as we move to the next days and weeks and years of life. In Jesus' name, amen.